Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 365 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode I chat to Will Hellworth, Graham Parks and Oliver Lewin of Goodbye World Games about their blinking driven adventure game Before Your Eyes. Yes, I did say that correctly. Blinking. Before Your Eyes requires you to interact with it using your eyes. More importantly, the ability to blink with them, or indeed hold them shut in some cases. It's an extraordinary experience, one I shall never forget when I played this myself before interviewing the people behind its creation. It's certainly an emotional game, one that's not to be taken lightly. It deals with very interesting topics, topics that are uncomfortable to talk about or indeed to think about. And that's a good thing. We need games that do that. And, well, Before Your Eyes definitely does that. So, without further ado, let us listen to me, from the relatively recent past, talk to Goodbye World Games. Chris, take it away. Will, Graham and Oliver, please introduce yourselves, who you are, and what do you do? So uh, my name is Will Helworth. I'm uh, the creative director on Before Your Eyes and more broadly uh, the studio Goodbye World Games. I founded basically to have this, this, our, this is our flagship game. Uh, and I do all kinds of stuff because it's a small company. So uh, at the beginning, you know, making the actual prototypes, design, programming, uh, social media, <laughs> submitting to things. Um, and I, outside of the game, I do uh, a lot of contract work for clients in VR and AR. Um, nice. Graham, what, what, what do you do, sir? Yeah, sir. I'm Graham Parks. I'm the lead writer and one of the directors on, on Before Your Eyes as well. Oliver? Um, I'm the composer or one of the two composers and one of the directors and a producer and just kind of 
fill in the the empty spaces and try to support all the creative voices on the project. Mm. Yeah, I said the the, uh, the uh, negotiator sometimes. <laughs> yeah, oh, hell yeah, arb- arb- arbiter, arbiter, like oh, accurate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's every team one needs one of those every every single, especially when you're a team of one. <laughs> yeah. We've had a fair few on this show. This is great. Yeah. So we're, we're going to rotate round. So Will, Graham, and Oliver. So this one's definitely this next one's very personal. But the third one, the dreaded third question, uh, probably get group one on that one. Yes, it's coming. Okay. Um, how did you make your start making games? So Will, how did you make your start doing flashy lighty video games? Um, I was lucky enough to go to USC's uh, interactive media program, and they forced me to make many flashy games uh, to my own benefit. Uh, and I would, but before that, I would say I got started just as a, a over a, a summer program. Uh, I got checked out Game Maker and you know Blender for the first time, and uh, you know I think if if you try out Game Maker, it, it, you'll know whether or not you want to go. Oh, I actually prefer the consuming, playing, talking about critic side of games, or uh, yeah, I actually do like making them as well. And I was a huge game, you know, like lifer at the time, so I. I made the, the jump over. Nice. Okay. So basically, yeah, you, you found yourself in your university days thrust into this world and like whether you liked it or not, which is awesome. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this game specifically was originally like a kind of end of term uh, semester project, basically. Uh, originally, the old, old, old prototype of it was. That's great to know that you made a game that's actually going to have legs. Who knows when you start off like this will never work. And then here it is. Here we are. Talking about it. Yeah, I was told by my teacher to can it at a certain point, and I yeah. just took the bad grade on that assignment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Graham? How did you make your start uh, involved with the yeah, game so creation? This, this project is very much, if it weren't for Will, I don't think uh, either uh, Ollie or I would be here, because um, we don't really have game backgrounds. I, I studied dramatic writing at, at NYU. Me and Will were high school friends. Um, and big, you know, always really a big gamer. And a lot of our relationship, I think, was founded on long bus ride talks about video games. But I went off to study playwriting. I did do a minor in game design at NYU. Um, cause, so I always, you know, kept up the interest and was always eager to be a part of that, you know, to be a part of it, but, you know, more on the writing side. So then when Will was doing this final project, I think he, with what the game was going to be, he realized that it was going to require, you know, a lot of writing and story. And he knew that that's what I was into. So he called and uh, brought me in early on in that early iteration. And uh, I've sort of hung on since then. So uh, if it weren't for this project, I don't think I'd be making games at all. Wow. Uh, I've got a question specifically for you later on the second half. So on, on the crafting that you've done. So, uh, Thanks for Great. that. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I always marvel at uh, American universities being able to chop and change subjects like that. We can't do that here in the UK. When you go to university, you study one subject, and that's it. Right. And, uh, it's quite quite rigid. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's a whole different conversation. But I do find that marvelous that you can do, like, you know, mix and match with, like, well, I could Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, NYU, a, <laughs> NYU has a very interesting uh, – uh, game design program that was sort of coming up while i was there right. so i wasn't it didn't become a full major for me but because i had that gaming 
interest, I was able to take a lot of a lot of courses through there while I pursued the the writing the writing major. Fantastic. And uh, what about you, Oliver? How did you make your start getting involved with video games? Yeah, well, you know, Graham kind of mentioned this, but it was it was a little bit of like getting sucked into the vortex type <laughs> of thing um, through Will. Um, you know, so I, I was in college at the New School, also in New York, um, very close to Graham. And my background's in music, so I was studying music at the time. And Will kind of would be involved with different game projects. Oh, like they need music. And, you know, we all kind of love games. So there was a cool opportunity for me to start just being involved with dev teams making music for little college projects. And then when he did his, his uh, I guess it's like a senior capstone type of thing um, that uh, that was called Close Your, he brought uh, Graham and I on. And at that time I was doing music for that. And then as the project kind of evolved um, long after that, uh, as, as different needs kind of arose on the team i just kind of fell into it like oh we need a producer okay i'll do that oh kind of need another director i'll do that um and now here we are excellent so definitely sort of like we've, we've had lots of guests from all sorts of people who making games for 40 years to people like 10 10 or 5 or less it doesn't matter the stories are very similar you know although the ones of the 40 years they they, they started really like primitive computers that you had to use assembly to get anything out from uh, which is kind of scary when you think about it. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's the, 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 a lot of the design processes. I think what the biggest advances have been, and they mentioned this as well, is that game design theory and concepts have advanced significantly along with the technology. People don't outside the industry don't appreciate that. But I know you have studied it objectively. Go, wow, they used to do that. Well, they used to think that was okay. And I do genuinely think that what before you made before your eyes is an advancement. This is one of the many reasons I've asked you to come on. So thank you. Appreciate it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the third question. This is the dreaded third question because it's nebulous. I hate nebulous questions. But I have to ask it of you because (laughs) you're creators. So you can answer individually or as a group. What are your biggest influences? What is the thing Uh... you find orbiting more than anything else? I mean, I can I, I can say the ones that I know are that we've all talked about. So, okay. the game would not have been made without Thirty Flights of Loving by Brendan Chung, Blender Games, and Gravity Bone, which was the prequel to that. That opened my eyes to uh, editing, using editing in a game, and cutting in a scene at a weird place. You know, I, I've really fond memories of that game, uh, and it was so simple and and um, so I would say that's like the, if you had to say, what's the one ancestor of Before Your Eyes, I would say it's Third Flights of Loving. Um, but there's a lot in there. I mean, uh, yeah, why do you, I mean, what do you guys like? I think Kentucky Rod Zero is worth talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's been, it was an interesting development process because, yeah, as Will said, I mean, I think, I think early on the, yeah, the, that the, that thirty flights because of the the cutting that was kind of what Will showed us and was sort of like, not I'm going to do this one better, but like, <laughs> we we can you know the cut is so underexplored in 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 games and this is like the first time that you really see it and it's sort of like well how do we make the cut itself interactive that was such an exciting idea 
I think game wise, as the project evolved, like things came up that were like almost because we we've been working on this for seven years. So I feel like when we started, there was uh, just that kind of first great batch of really small, um, very personal narrative games. And then as we kind of continued production, things like What Remains of Edith Finch and games like Florence came out. And I think like as we built, as we kept building versions of it, like um, these kind of amazing games came out in the genre that like helped us clarify what we were doing. But I'm trying to think back to those earliest stages. I mean, I remember narratively, we were talking about like death of a salesman and portrait of the artist as a young man. Like I was very pretentious at the time and trying yeah. to bring in all this kind of these big literary works about memory and time. And, for a long time, this game was a kind of death of a salesman <laughs> adaptation for a long yeah. time. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I think early on we saw that it was good. It was, I always saw, you know, as a writer that it was going to be able to take, it was going to have to take on some very big themes. Um, so looking to some of those and at, you know, you're at college at the time. So you're reading those like great works. Um, so yeah, I remember Portrait of the Artist was another one that we looked at a lot of sort of how do you you know encapsulate an entire life um, in a short span of time. But uh, what do you what do you think, Ollie? Yeah, I, that all sounds very familiar and, and accurate. Um, I mean, this is just a, a one off random thing because like you know when you talk about um, Thirty Flights, it it does take me back to just sort of being spoon fed stuff from you guys. Um, you guys were kind of like hipping me to a lot of like indie games. And another one I remember kind of like being obviously less of like a direct formal influence, but just like, oh wow, look at this! This is this is setting a really cool high bar. Was um, that game Passage? Just for like how to yeah. do an emotional story with kind of minimal tools. And also yeah. that kind of cradle to grave thing, I think, mm -hmm. was something early on that I think when Will kind of talked to me, like we that was one of the early things we really agreed on. I think we like, played Passage on the bus on yeah. our phones. Like Yeah, yeah, that's true. In actually. high school, yeah. Yeah. Like, what's, <laughs> what's like, Whoa, video games <laughs> yeah. are like talking about death, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing yeah. game, yeah. it really was. It was such yeah. a it was such a fresh thing and, and it was but then I think early on, probably because we liked Passage, we were like, Oh, we wanna do this kinda we wanna the best Explore way it. to do this is to do the whole a whole life. Um and so then that kinda led us to looking at work that kind of encapsulates a whole life. So there's a lot of things that went into this. I would say finally the our secret sauce was that we dug up a bunch of home videos. I think we were kind of like floundering for a little bit. And when we really found our final tone was when we were like, let's make this about our lives. Let's make this about our houses and our childhood uh, experiences. Uh, and Ollie digitized like a ton of our home videos and just like went through them and it was great. And yeah. Yeah. We all grew up sort of in the same, same general area. Me and Ollie have known each other since we were four and, me and Will have known each other, and then we've all known each other since we were about, whatever, 13. Yeah. So we have a lot of shared background that we could kind of pull from. And uh, yeah, as I said, I think I was in a pretentious, so let's let's look at James Joyce and Arthur Miller kind of stage when we started. And, you know, five years later, as a writer, you've learned that, you know, those kind of lofty things, you know, it's good to keep them in the back of your head, but I think we, we had learned our lesson and, and, and realized that you want to tell a story, you really understand yourself. So I think once we started getting a little more personal and a little more um, down to earth with our goals, is that's when the story really broke for us. So 
I think sounds like what you're telling me is that you love the idea of delivering a compelling and I must abuse phrase, but please, it's the only word I can come up with right now. Uh, forgive me, it's the end of my day, so come on. Um, but the most engrossing, there's another one, uh, story via a very simplistic and just pure means just to get the message across as quickly and as simply and as efficiently as possible. It's a bit sort of clinical, but that's what you're telling me. Is that That's what I'm getting from you. It's one of the many things, but that's the thing that really find you are drawn to because all the games you've been thinking of, talking about do those things. Um, some are more ambiguous yeah. than others like Journey I still think is somewhat ambiguous which is one of its appeals but it is but others are more straightforward like Stanley Parable which is more of a comedy skit than it is a narrative Genova's a big influence I, I talked to him a couple of times because he's a USC guy as well and yeah yeah, he's, he's brilliant yeah but he's tough <laughs> <laughs> okay so the next one, next question, fantastic answers, by the way, really awesome. But uh, Ooh, this one you. might be a bit, because all these questions are the same for all guests. So, hey, you're doing well. Um, but the answer is always different. This next one is also a little bit difficult, and I suspect it's going to be individual rather than a group. Or it might be a group, I don't know. And you usually get usual suspects when I answer them, then it's answered. So here we go. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? It could be a person or, or a company. Uh, I'm gonna. Graham, I have, a, Graham I have two and Will. answers. My answer is Graham and Will. Uh, <laughs> I'm out. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> I, I have a. I have my official good sounding like oh yeah mm, answer, which is uh, uh, well now even I don't know. I was gonna say Kojima. Okay. But you know who I really admire, even though he's totally in trouble and not gonna ever work on a big game ever again, is yeah. Peter Molyneux. Oh, I feel his pain so much when he overpromises. I'm just like that, where I'm like, we could do pupil tracking, we could do eyes only, and we could do it on everything. We could do it remote, we could do it streaming, we could do it on five. Like, I get it. Like, he's, I see that he's just passionate about his project, and I know yeah. that he's not like trying to be a liar and a bad guy. And I love Dungeon Keeper. I grew up on all of his games. Mm. Uh, so he may have been retired from culture. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I he lit a flame in me for sure, and I I don't I don't think that he has got bad intentions. I think that he's just too excited and doesn't have good PR training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, manage one expectations. What about you, yeah, Ben? Yeah. Any anyone you point to or person or people or like oh you you there you carry on do what you're doing you're very good. Uh, you know I'm try- I'm trying I'm trying to think right now. Um, there's so many games that. Uh, that I love so much, but I feel like I attribute him more more so to teams. Mm. Um, mm. uh, he can be a group or a company or practice or a, a, a studio, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, like, I think that what uh, uh, Giant Sparrow and, yeah, like, I mean, I guess that's Ian Dallas, but I think that, you know, uh, Unfinished Swan and, and, mm. and What Remains of Edith Finch, yeah. in terms of games that feel like they do what, I really particularly feel my, you know, the kind of things that I'd be wanting to do. I mean, I love all sorts of games, um, but in terms of what we kind of tried to do with Before Your Eyes, and I think what we want to continue to do with with projects is kind of, you know, doing story games. But I think what I love about their games is that they are sort of narrative games, but they're also very much about the mechanics. Um, 
but not mechanics, you know, as a means to their own end, but mechanics as a means to, to telling stories. So, you know, sometimes it's not like the telltale, just choose your own adventure. I mean, in Edith Vincent, Unfinished Swan, there's these very specific mechanical things that it's exploring. And those are the, you know, the like these very specific mechanical things are the way that they deliver story. And I think studying those those games really helped us on this. And that's kind of that's the kind of stuff that really inspires me. Also, like Lucas Pope comes to mind. Um, I mean, Papers, Please was huge for me. Yes. Um, yeah. Just as a kind of mind-blowing thing. And again, how do you tell stories that are inextricable from a mechanic? It's not like, oh, here's a bit of a mechanical section, and now let's go to the story section and choose a narrative thing. And then back to, you know, these sorts of things where you really, they are story experiences, and the narrative is the focus, but they're, you know, very one-to-one with what you're actually doing as a player which is what i always thought was so brilliant about will's concept you know of this blinking thing so i always look to those things i it definitely draws you into the experience more than other games do we're going to touch on that in the second half but we're, we're dancing around that it's awesome it happens a lot like it's yeah. leading into the first half but that's cool because course it's gonna it's gonna you can't de- demark them too much but no fantastic responses Okay. Oh, um, yeah, yes. Uh, this? geez, this is a hard one. It um, is, yeah, it does, it's, you know, it's a mini boss at the end. Of the I, I, my <laughs> mind goes towards like Titans, you know, like the like Miyamoto and Nintendo people, and 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 uh, you know, we we love like Dark Souls and Miyazaki, and that the people like that would be cool, definitely to be like if you could get one hour with them and and talk to them and ask them a few questions, would be cool. But something that jumped to mind for me was, um, yeah, Genova Chen would be cool. I don't, I don't. Like that'd be another person to sit down with. But um, when we, I'm terrible with names, but early on, earlier, not kind of midway through the process, Graham recommended a podcast and it was an interview with, what is her name? She was like one of the- Amy Hennig. Yeah, yeah, Amy Hennig. And uh, that was actually really, really helpful just to like hear someone- talk a lot about how the sausage is made. And like, I think I listened yeah, to that podcast like 10 times because there were so many like nuggets in it. So that's definitely like a, a very Yeah, helpful, it's on the Game Maker's yeah. Notebook. Yeah, she does. She just sort of talks about, you know, what directing is and, and kind of talking about creative collaboration. And yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Good show. Anyone else, do you think? Apart from maybe? I'd love to do an English person because you're English. The people that made who made Donkey Kong, like the the original one, <laughs> yeah, Mister Mister Kong, yeah, and they made Conquerors and stuff. Those oh, guys. Well, so that's Ultimate Play the game. So that's the Stamper Brothers. Um, yeah, the Stamper Brothers. They, yeah, they're, yeah, they're they're pretty cool. They're English. Yeah, they're, they're yes, rare as they're now known, but they were called Ultimate. Rare. When yes, I was a kid. rare. But they're called rare now. Uh, we, yeah, they're they're, they're they're synonymous with quality and exceptional games for the most part. I don't. I, I don't. If, if they're cancelled, I don't know anything no, about no, it. No, but, no, 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 um, no. Not about that. It's just that some of the games didn't quite hit the mark, but the vast majority. Of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played a lot of Conquerors and, and Donkey Kong. Conquerors is like a foundational, yeah, title. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Donkey Kong Country was a on the SNES was or SNES, depending on what part of the world you are in. Extraordinary game. People are like, mm. wait, that's on a yeah, that's that's real. No, they just pushed the envelope with technology. It's just amazing. Very difficult game though. If you play it now, like, mm, this has yes. got. We're talking you get a bit of a shock, yeah. Yeah, it's like good music yeah. though. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome.
Well, one more question before we end the first half. See, well done. You made it. There you go. Two halves. Here we go. And this one's probably going to be an individual one as well. Well, that's fine. What are you playing right now? What's distracting you from what you should be doing? <laughs> I've been playing uh, Psychonauts 2. Nice. Which has been great. Really charming. I feel like uh, I loved the first one back in the day. Yeah. And this is even better. I think the writing is, is great. And yeah, I'm loving it. Awesome. What about you, Ollie? I am so lucky that I played something cool this week because I'm usually just like <laughs> playing <laughs> Fortnite and Among Us. Um, I played, I'm so lucky. Yeah, yesterday I played this game um, at the strong, strong, multi-year-long recommendation of our team member, Dylan Terry, um, called Oinkospiel. And it's kind of like wow. a interactive music thing so i'm very well, lucky i played that recently because well, otherwise I'm, like, oh, I'm going to play this i want that it's really cool okay it's i'm gonna cool. look that up sure. and i might get one the show off Who knows? <laughs> i'm so lucky I, other than that i would have just said it's been more fortnite i apologize it's that time of year that's ridiculous i mean you know yeah it's like about a group of dogs making a video game dog opera I didn't totally get that they were making the game, um, okay. but it is a there's dogs feature that's a, very that's a prominently. Great pitch. I gotta that's check this out. You okay. guys would like it, yeah. Dylan literally, yeah. it was a daily thing. Oh, have you played it? Have you played it? I was like, I bought it, okay. but I haven't bought played it. it. I haven't played it. Okay, fine. Done. What about you? Um, You've been very hesitant. This that's fine. morning, I was playing Bioshock Two: Minerva's Den because I'd never checked that out. Wow, that's fine. Just thought I'd give it a shake. Yeah. But I play a lot of things and I don't typically practice what I preach in terms of our influences. Like when I unwind, uh, yeah, I'll go for a multiplayer game. Um, I've been playing S- Sable has been great. I, th- I was really impressed with Sable. I'm just looking at my Steam list right now. <laughs> I played a little bit of uh, No Man's Sky before that, getting on the expeditions. That was fun. And then I've been doing a bunch of research for like a city building game. So I've played... Uh, it's a game called Cliff Empire, uh, just a lesser-known one. A game called Autonauts, doing some very interesting city-building stuff. And I love RimWorld. I'm always playing RimWorld. Uh, RimWorld is kind of the direction I want to go with a, a future project. Yeah, those grand strategy city builder like no, they're not grand strategy. That's 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 Stellaris. That's the thing I play a lot, but yeah, the, yeah, yeah, builders of communities are very yeah. when it goes right. And very I really want to build one around making sure those gen, you know those interesting story moments come up yes. uh, emergent gameplay like oh look there's gary oh no there goes Gary. the game i was sheepish <laughs> about playing is warframe i don't yeah. like to, to admit that i play warframe but i okay. when i'm sometimes especially when i'm depressed i'll boot up warframe because it's pretty much like a dopamine fire hose well we've had them on the show so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I put in yeah. a lot of hours in a Warframe. I more than I can put in, and still, you know, talk smack about the game. But yeah, it, it's my, uh, it's it's a go-to. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Well, um, that's all of you. Let's go on to the second half of the show, where we delve deep into before your eyes.
So, first question. As regular listeners know, isn't a question. It's what a request, really. It's the Zeroth question. I know, Asimov reference. There you go. Uh, what is your? What is before your eyes? What do you think? Can you describe it for us in your own way? Good luck with that, by the way. <laughs> Will's, oh, Will's touching his nose to say yeah. nose, nose goes. Um, yeah, I haven't done this in a long time, but I'll, I'll give it a whirl. Um, it is a, a narrative game in which time moves forward when you blink. Um, and those blinks are detected via the webcam. And it is a game about acceptance, self-acceptance, um, and loss and life. How is that? Oh, it's, you know what we often say it's, it is, uh, it's an interactive afterlife. <laughs> Getting like the notes. That's basically a remix of the steam. It does uh, open up. I mean, it's not a spoiler. That's his, that's his opening gambit. I mean, you're just this sphere with a couple of eyes, which is really great because the narrator is wonderful little, I don't know what he is. I know that's best not to define, but he's like this wolf creature. With he's one a coyote. The coyote, yeah. Yeah, coyote man. <laughs> with, with one coyote ear. man. Coyote man with one ear uh, gone, half chewed off for reasons. Great voice actor, great motion capture on him. Yeah, he's a really, really great. Yeah, oh. Stephen Friedrich. Yeah. Shout out for Stephen. Just astonishing. This, oh, know. oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, Stephen, we were very lucky. We had an actor who dropped out last minute. Um, and... Steven was a kind of last minute replacement and he was just going to come in to do the mocap. Um, but then he started doing the voice and we were like, we love this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, he, and he stayed on and Steven ended up doing a bunch of voices on the, on the project. He's also like the professor and he's, he's all sorts of, uh, he, he pops up every, uh, all over the game. So he, he, we were very lucky to have him. Yeah. Yeah. It really shows the craftsmanship behind the performance and the voice acting. It's all meshed together really really well and it really with that if that was off the experience would fall apart very quickly the, the conceit and the, the, the you know the uncanny valley would kick in very quickly i hate that phrase again lots of cliches everyone but it's a shortcut everyone knows what i mean so first design question yeah. then oh sorry but yes first design question do you survive blinks in before your eyes is triggered typically by seeing something on the screen maybe a, an eye blinking at you or an eye telling you to close your eyes that does happen <laughs> also the, a metronome which is thematic and i won't go into reasons why that's there but it is how have you found and it's probably an obvious question you've probably been asked this many times but how have you found what have you found with the experience of making sure that the player isn't too uncomfortable by holding their eyes and not blinking because they want to drink in the scene as long as possible. What have you done to balance that time period? What have you been doing apart from the obvious playtesting? What other things have you done to make sure that the experience doesn't become physically uncomfortable? Hmm. Um, I guess I'll start with the old history, which is we did have a note on that long ago when I was like really adamant that uh, it was every blink scene has to change. Like the a previous kind of design goal was like, Oh, like no matter what no matter if you're, you know, we have like a two second grace period. And then it's like, if you blink, you're out of the scene, you miss it. Life is tough and it's shocking. And I, you know uh, it was a little like punk rock and disorienting and people still kind of got it. But universally the note was like, I just didn't know what was happening at the beginning. Like I just couldn't like, 
process anything in the beginning. Um, so then it became, uh, we lightened it up a little bit with the blink counters where it's like you have more than one per scene or you have, uh, when you interact with things, you get a little bit extra time to blink. Um, but a lot of it was in the writing in, in just how we structured it. I mean, you can get into that gram if you want, but yeah, I mean, I think that was always, that was always like that, what you're talking about there was always sort of the push and pull of, of the project because from an early thing, Will's from it, from the earliest stage, this was a, this was about what was interesting about this was this tension of most games are about give, empowering you and giving you superpowers that allow you to do things. And this game is going to be about kind of disempowering you and humbling you to the flow of time and, you're going to have to blink and then you're going to blink and you're going to lose these memories. And, uh, Will was always very adamant of like this. It's not meant to feel good. It's like, it's meant to feel frustrating. Um, and that was always something that was super cool and fresh about it. And we saw from early things, as Will said, even when you blinked every time, it was really hard to get a story that way, but it would still have this amazing emotional effect on people, I think, because, there was just something about watching these memories pass and be, not being in control that just totally kind of like breaks down your psychological barriers, I think. Um, but there was always this balance of we don't want to lose that initial seed. And but we also want to make sure people can actually get a story from this thing and they can actually that, you know, too much frustration, especially as we tried to expand it from like a 15 minute game when it worked with every blink. But I think when you're trying to expand it to an hour, it was like, yeah, we need to we need to temper that. And uh, yeah, I think we brought on a, a, our lead, a designer, Bella Messix, who really helped. He, he hadn't been on the project. We all kind of had been on it for so long. I think he had more objectivity and he was the one who kind of brought in that. Oh, the ideas that ultimately led to, as Will talked about that, what we called the blink counter, but that metronome that comes up. And once we had that, the pace of the scenes became a lot clearer and a lot easier to write because as a writer, I could put all the stuff you need to know you know, to understand the story on the, on one side of that metronome. And then once that metronome comes up, I can put all the kind of interesting tidbits and, and, and letting the characters talk and, and more detail and stuff, but knowing that they definitely heard this bit part, you know, whereas before it was like, we never knew what part of the game they'd missed or gotten. So that really helped us on a, on a storytelling level to have that metronome that divides the scenes into two. And that, and that uh, led us to kind of being able to find that mix between you know, still having that disempowerment and still having that frustration of, oh, I'm going to miss a scene, but not not having that overpower the whole thing so you can't even get a story from it. Yeah, so absolutely. And I think the idea of actually encouraging discomfort says a lot. Cause like, <laughs> yeah, it's always like, I think there's also we as developers like had that long process of kind of making it more forgiving, experimenting with certain things under the hood, like buffers. Um, and then of course, like what Bella brought with pushing it more in the direction of the UI so that the player kind of has a bit more of an understanding and, and it's, and it is more forgiving, but there's also still like always a personal journey, I think. And that's kind of a, a corny way of describing it, but like every streamer you watch play it, like some of them start out really trying to, keep their eyes open for a really long time. And then they kind of wind up like, okay, I can't really do this for an hour and a half or two hours. And they kind of have to let go of that goal. Um, and that I feel like is, goes very hand in hand with some of like the themes that we're trying to, to look at with, with the game. But yeah, through our testing, like early on, you realize that 
you know, people would be like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I loved it, but it was really frustrating. I kept missing stuff. And we're like, well, we're, we're making a game about missing stuff. So that's perfect. But then you kind of ultimately realize, well, even if you're making a game about frustration and missing stuff, it's not good if the player's frustrated. No, no. Yeah. Well, I, just, I just thought it as a, as a component of the narrative, as the experience. That's how I interpreted it. But everyone's going to have their own way of looking at it. But um, I want to talk also, next question. Uh, we could go on about that first one. I rewrote the first one about twenty times. Graham can relate, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, but the second one is really, I think it's going to be to Oliver. But I'm sure the rest of you could chip in. I want to talk about the sound mixing in Before Your Eyes. That really struck me. It's very subtle. There seemed to be the bass is quite low, especially when people are talking. Maybe I misheard it, but there's definitely something going on with when people people are talking when. And, and when characters are talking, there's a different an emphasis on what they're saying over and above everything mm-hmm. else. Um, why? Uh, I wish I could phone a friend and get Dylan on because he's really <laughs> our audio uh, lead, and and you know he really spent a long, long time perfecting the kind of tool set being used for mixing the the vocal performances. Um, I know kind of like speaking on his behalf and the whole team's behalf, like intimacy is a huge kind of um, goal for us, like on every level of a scene. And so like, especially with scenes where we're working with kind of minimal resources, like there's some scenes where uh, actually there's a lot of scenes where an important character is talking, but they're not necessarily in view. Um, And to kind of make up for that uh, or to make up for scenes where we didn't have lots of animation, you really want the, the kind of sonic quality of the vocal performances to feel really intimate and lifelike. Um, So I think, yeah, Dylan did an amazing job of that. And uh, the performances are like super heartfelt. So we really wanted them to be very kind of crystal clear in your ears and to feel kind of embodied. Um, And yeah, I think Dylan just put a lot of, a lot of work into that. And there's a, I think part of this thing of making a game about, you know, a lot of it is about memories is you kind of have to take that impressionist idea of like what sticks with you from a memory. Um, if you're, if you're just flying through all these different environments, what are the kind of key components and the sound can really help deliver a lot um, and kind of sh- share that, um, share that load with, with the visuals. I would also say in terms of just like what was unique or interesting about our process was that Ollie had made, I want to say two basically complete scores for earlier versions, maybe and a half, but the final score was made, correct me if I'm wrong, but very late into the production. And I think it was after most of the voice work had been done. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it was when Ollie, Ollie was actually referencing this, you know, these scenes and this voice acting of like, in composing the music in like, when does the music need to come in and come out and be quieter and softer and let the, the, the VO, which we already know about come in. And also just like, I think Ollie was just in the right mindset, like of, you know, to synthesize this whole production into, into a track at the time. Yeah. In terms of a workflow, I mean, I don't, I don't know how other studios operate, but with us, once you have all the assets in engine, like it's very much like a build around the VO kind of a chronology of like, okay, get that sounding good, then the sound and a lot of, even just the gameplay is very much like tweaked around um, kind of like supporting that VO. It's just amazing how some of the performances and the voice and the, and the, 
the volume of it and the bass. Definitely, I felt that as a reverb going on. I don't know. What did you What did you play? What was your setup? Were you playing with headphones? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Kind of late at night, and I wanted to play with my headphones. I um and uh, I just got really sort of like sucked in that way rather than having on my really pretty. Dylan will love hearing this. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'll convey this, but I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, I just, I just picked up on it. I was like, wow, that's really clever. It felt like you hear it's your breath, the, the breathing. Yeah. That's what, yeah. you don't hear that. Most of it's edited out in most games because it gets, people don't like to hear it in video games because it's, yeah. it's distracting. But in with Before Your Eyes, you needed it there because you needed to, in, these weren't caricatures, these were people. And yeah, we were just well. um, yes. we were just doing the OST, the soundtrack, and and I was working on one of the cues to make it like a track on the soundtrack, and I was like, why does this sound worse than it did in the game? Yeah. Um, and then you realize that in the game, you kind of have the like the breath of of the yeah. characters, and you have the yeah. ambiance and the environments. So I just kind of yeah. uh, messaged Dylan, like, can I whatever the sound is in this scene, <laughs> can I get it? Because the music doesn't really sound good without it. Yeah. yeah. Next question. I'm going to ask about the script. Here we go, Graham. But, so I have to ask about the script. Oh. I definitely got the impression after reflecting on what I experienced with Before Your Eyes, and that's something you do longer than actually playing it, which is an awesome thing. Um, I really felt that the words were crafted. Each one, even the smaller ones, in fact, especially the smaller ones, and every semicolon, yes, I did spot them, was deliberately <laughs> placed there very carefully. And everyone was involved with its creation, not just yourself. Everyone, I like to think, had an input in because it it, it became a whole. It feels like it's become a whole. And it, one one of the things that struck me most of all about the script was it seemed to be designed, and I don't like using that word when it comes to writing, but it seemed to be designed to undermine the assumptions people make when playing video games. It undermines, in many regards, just this point of view of like, Oh, I'm just a dude with a gun shooting something. You know what I mean? Just like this. This is yeah, the, exactly. Is, uh, that, yeah, you're coming. We had so many that. times we're in a meetings where we're like we're not making a gun game where we just shoot people in the head. Like we said that yeah, so yeah. many times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think on a on a deeper level, like um, like always again going back to I think the kind of philosophical background that Will really always pushed was like this being, as you say, like kind of the anti-game in that games are all about um, mastering your environment, getting the most out of um, any given moment um, and trying to achieve, you know, the most. And so we wanted this game to be about, you know, this more sort of learning to let go. The skill of, you know, forcing, trying to get everything out of every single moment, which is what most games teach us to do, aren't necessarily the skills that we need in life. I think in life, you are constantly, you know, humbled by reality and time's going to push forward whether you like it or not. And things are going to happen. And, and, and there's another skill that you develop, I think, as you grow, which is to kind of accept and embrace just the impermanence of things. And I thought that was always such a that was such a beautiful thing that felt so embedded in as, as as I talk about so embedded in the mechanic that I think that we always knew what the game was about and we just took iteration after iteration to um on the script to kind of dive deeper and deeper and try to 
uh, and really having all those opportunities to because we've built so many many versions of the game. I think I pushed Graham to his one. absolute limit of how many drafts he was going <laughs> to write on this game. Yeah, He's yeah, being polite, it, but I think I really found the limit. <laughs> I mean, there were so many phases, so so there have been there were a lot of versions of this story. Um, but absolutely, like I think that uh, uh, we finally arrived at something, and it was when for me, kind of taking some some things from my my personal life, I, I was. I had uh, some pretty severe respiratory problems in middle school and I was bedridden for a while and had to have this complicated surgery and missed like a year of school. Um, and I think when I kind of figured out that it was about this kid and it, we're going to focus on this kid and I'm not going to do, do too much spoiler, you know, spoilers, no. but um, figuring that out really kind of, I kind of brought that to the guys and I wrote like a really short little version of it just a little fable that was like three pages long. And I said, what if this was the story? And this was pretty late in the game. You know, we had done a lot of versions and this is when we had gotten our first kind of real investment. It had been a few months and we kind of knew this was our final chance to do it with VO and do it. We were going to be able to do the actual production version of it. Um, and, and yeah, I, Ollie and Will were the, where that, that was at a point where the team was really just the three of us and really the main focus was just on me writing the script. And I think that's a, also a thing that, a lot of games don't get to have, which is just the way that our production worked. I think at that moment, like both Ollie and Will had other gigs. I had been doing different gigs as a writer, but we got this initial investment. And before we really built out that final team, we got, I got to have kind of like a few months where I just would write and these two would read my pages and we'd talk about them. And, and then I'd go off and write more. And there was no, Oh, we got to get this in by this time because the 3d modeler has to get working or we have this animation. So, it was really such a blessing to be able to just have writing time and then have these two with me to kind of help build this story. So I think that's another reason why I think you see that there is that care in the writing is, is just because our, our process and our pipeline allowed for time to just focus on that and, and not have any other processes moving, which I think really helped. Yeah. And I just love the fact that you actually play with the idea of the assumption on the player, like, Oh, you think this is going to go this way. All right. Go on then, and that's one yeah. That I mean that, that I, uh, I mean it's a classic. You know, I'm not going to say it's a bait and switch because that's a disgusting thing to say. Least of all to, to go for any. <laughs> yeah, it's it a trick. Yeah, it is. It was. Is it? Yeah. But it's, it's a misdirect. It was. It's a misdirect. An illusion. Yeah, an illusion, <laughs> and like, and the fact that something you know one of the characters gets angry for you is wonderful. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm annoyed. It actually reminds me of of another thing I would say as an inspiration, which. The game that got me started down this path is Shadow of the Colossus. Of like, uh -huh. oh, yeah. games can make who's you feel sad oh, about what they're asking yeah. you to do. Yeah, yeah. Really the so in a big way, that was like that was a big inspiration of, of yeah. let's make a game where the player isn't just like I did it. You yeah, know, yeah. there's some kind of introspection. Not every game has to be Diablo. Everyone, just saying. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, just that biggest example we think of of the thing about capitalism. Yeah. Muting myself. <laughs> I, I just uh, I just got the new Diablo two last night, so it's it's it resonated with me. Yeah, yeah. It's the quest for truth, justice, and better stuff. Not in that order. Um, so the last question. I know all good things must come to an end, but here we are. I want to talk about the visuals in Before Your Eyes. I've used the word simplistic. It's probably a bad phrase, but they are quite clear and crisp and well understood and there, there, there's um, a 
sense of like this is the person as they may see themselves you know the visuals aren't that important and but the what really is important is the animation phenomenal animation he put in especially in the uh the the boatman that was um, he's that was just, a... just brilliant yeah i mean we couldn't have afforded that motion capture cost if it wasn't just the luck of our publisher basically having access to the studio i mean cuz they're prohibitively expensive but that was amazing yeah well, our publisher is Skybound. Or sorry, to be, you, to correct. To be clarified, right. But one of our <laughs> one of our um uh our, our earliest investor, Riot R Y O T, um, who came on early and 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 saw the project through before Skybound got involved. Uh, uh, they had this yes, state of the art mocap stage, and they were like, here they they funded the project, and they said, you know, you get some free days in the mocap stage. We would have never, at our budget level, thought to do mocap, um, but we were like, amazing, we're doing mocap. So, and for me, cause I had a theater background and, and, uh, and film and I work with a lot of great, I know a lot of great actors and, and, and stuff. It was like a kind of a dream come true. Cause you know, the process of directing is, it's like being in theater again, you know, you get to do these big long chunks of, so then that knowing that we had that, I think also encouraged me to, okay, we can write a long monologue here and it's going to, we're going to have enough nuance to the performance that it's actually going to be interesting to watch. Um, so all that stuff ended up informing the yeah. writing too, just knowing we had this because it really is a state. It really was a true state of the art mocap stage that just uh, was empty, and we got we yeah. snuck in too. Yeah, <laughs> we we yeah. we wound up in a pickle that was um, solved, but we wound up in a pickle because you know sometimes you get good ideas later, or you have to fix things later on in the development cycle, and of course we no longer had access um, to that stage, but uh, luckily. Um, rich richard beer he's he's one of the kind of core team a lead engineer um and also a kind of last minute mocap specialist because he was able to set up a a rig in his uh garage or something and and do some mocap acting for the last kind of i think he just did it with the connect sensor too with the the connect Mm -hmm. sensors so that would be my my advice to anyone listening who's interested like number one you can use a connect sensor and, and it'll still look, you know, pretty decent if you're not an animator. And number two, you can use Mixamo stock animations and someone on a podcast will still compliment you on your animations. If you don't <laughs> use too many. Well, you make them <laughs> we weeded those out. I, mean, I, I think, think there's a couple. The, all the animations where you re- like the, a lot of the ferryman stuff where you're really eyes on that. And we're using the more state of the art stuff where you get yeah. the kind of hand yeah. articulation. And it's yeah. very subtle, but in a pinch that other stuff, really does work pretty well too and and yeah. and the cost is a tiny fraction so yeah. the original tar- software from this game was i had <laughs> illegally modified a copy of uh a software called face plus that was by mixamo as well that was using webcam to animate a face it was the only one that did eye blinks and so yeah the very first prototypes were actually from animation software and i would really recommend that as well i think that very soon we're going to be just turn on your webcam and you have a pretty good face face capture performance for indie devs at low cost or anyone. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, again, it's the effort you put into that is really, uh, uh, I can't be more uh, thankful for that to you. Uh, it's just, uh, it really helped the whole experience because if it was off again, my attention would have been drawn or like, oh yeah, I'm playing a game because I forgot. Mm. 
right? I actually forgot I was playing a game. I, I actually felt myself I was actually experiencing an excellent short story. That's why. That's what. That's the goodbye world. That's what goodbye world in a goodbye world games means. It's like yeah. when you go up to a game, and you're like, I'm com- saying complete goodbye to the real world. Like, yeah. I remember having that with like Skyrim and stuff, where you just are like, I am Aww. going to Skyrim. Like yeah. goodbye world. You know, yeah. like that's yeah. it's it's not a dark suicide thing. I promise. <laughs> no, 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 no. I could. Uh, it could be we interpreted that way. And uh, but uh, well, before your eyes, which is developed by goodbye. World Games, uh, and you've already explained where the name comes from. Fantastic. That's a question we do ask at the end, but you preempted me. Well oh. done. <laughs> and published by Skybound Games is available on. Now, I've got platforms here that tells me that WikiTed, and I'm going to say them, but I hope I got it right. It's a Windows PC and Mac OS. Is that right? Cool. Getting lots yeah, of that's totally. it. And, that's and it. keep your eyes out because uh, there may be some. We can't talk about it yet, but there's no. going to be some other platforms in the future, it looks like. So I'm yes. keep your eyes I'm on sure. it. There are. And we we have made it for VR, and it's right. very cool. But, you know, we're waiting for eye tracking to catch on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But yeah, we do have a slice of it that is that is very cool. So yeah. hopefully one day you'll play it in, in VR. Well, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you very, very much. Um, you've been fantastic guests and sharing your, your experiences and knowledge of making before your eyes, which is an astonishing, uh, wonderful experience and a great achievement for you all. So thank you. You're more than welcome to come back because we do have return guests. We have many return guests because we've been going for eight years now. So people make a game and then three or four years later they come back going, oh, Chris, I made a new thing. Cool. Talk about it. So uh, more than welcome to do that. But in the meantime... Thank you very, very much. Thank you. This was thank like you, such Chris. a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website. Canaanrinse.com <laughs>